This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we visit a prison. Crosscut staff reporter Joseph O'Sullivan recently spent a day at Stafford Creek Correction Center to learn more about a new program designed to improve the culture behind bars. The program, called AMEND, is modeled off of the prison system in Norway, where a stated goal of incarceration is to create better neighbors. So, among other things, the Washington Department of Corrections hopes AMEND can help improve interactions between corrections officers and incarcerated people and help create better outcomes when the incarcerated are released. The program at Stafford Creek is part of a pilot project being run at three Washington prisons. And there's money in Governor Inslee's proposed budget to expand the program to more prisons across the state if the legislature approves it. The goals of the effort are pretty lofty. And there are skeptics. Can American prison culture be changed? And is this the way to change it? I think we're here. We just went down a long road, and uh, this will be a new thing for me. I've never um, been inside one of Washington's prisons, although I've reported on them for uh, almost 10 years now. I think we can just park here. I think so, yeah. All right. They're expecting us. They're expecting us. So, Joe, recently you and Crosscut photographer Amanda Snyder took a trip to the Stafford Creek Correction Center, which is a state prison near Aberdeen. Can you tell me, what what were you guys there to do? We were there to observe a uh, pilot project called uh, AMEND. It's the AMEND program. And it came out of University of California, San Francisco, and they work with the uh, country of Norway, where the prisons have sort of helped pioneer sort of a more humane treatment of incarcerated people. And the idea is that uh, if you treat incarcerated people better inside the prisons, they will be more better adjusted when they come back out into the world. A big part of that is what they call, quote-unquote, dynamic security, which is corrections officers interacting much more often with the incarcerated people and sort of, you know, forming productive relationships, uh, maybe even mentorships and, and helping uh, the incarcerated people maybe um, succeed at the goals that they're setting out for their own rehabilitation and stuff. But uh, things will also be easier for the corrections officers that um, work with them. You know, there's a lot of violence and trauma in the prisons. And and so the idea is, you know, what can we do to, to reduce uh, all those things? Over the years, I've covered hunger strikes in the prisons and big prison fights problems with the healthcare system and delays in cancer care, and then, of course, how the prisons had to uh, respond to the COVID-19 crisis and sort of the, the troubles they had in there at the time. Um, but I've never been inside one of the actual facilities, so it was fascinating for me to go out there. And we got an invitation from the secretary of the Department of Corrections, Cheryl Strange, uh, who said, hey, you know, we're doing this program. Um, you know, do you want to come check it out? And so we said yes. I'm I'm supporting the the main project. What was kind of the first thing that you guys did? You go in, you go through security, and then you're being escorted around. What happened first? Well, before we actually went into the sort of the high security area, we went into one of the outer buildings and we sat down with some of the amend program people uh, that were coming in for the day. They were sort of starting their day and we were coming in with them. And this included... uh, 
a program director for the AMEND program, as well as uh, two uh, Norwegian uh, corrections officers who were here visiting America. My name is Morten Rør. I'm uh, from a prison in the southwest of Norway called Åna Prison, a high security prison for uh, men. As part of the program to sort of consult and job shadow. And I work at Halden Prison in Norway. With the uh, State Department of Corrections workers there at the prison. And so we were able to ask some questions of of the Norwegian officers and uh, sort of get their thoughts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, what were the Norwegian officers saying about any differences they might have noticed between the American system and the Norwegian system? The Norwegian prisons, first of all, are much smaller. Uh, Our biggest prison in Norway is 250-ish inmates. Linda Catherine Hansen is a corrections officer in Norway. She said right away the prison that she works at has maybe fewer than 300 people incarcerated inside. Mm. Now contrast that to Stafford Creek Correction Center, where we were, has nearly 2,000 people in there. So the scale is Mm. much different. And, you know, the culture is a little more top-down in the United States, so there's not as much interaction between incarcerated people and the officers. And, of course, that's, that's one of the things that uh, corrections officials here are hoping to change to yeah. sort of change the overall culture inside. Because we work more with them than towards them. We spend the day together with them. It's like role modeling. Okay. And then one more thing that stuck out, and in America we probably don't even think about this that much, but uh, in Norway they don't really have life in prison. And in Norway we said that the only thing uh, that is uh, for every prisoner in Norway is that one day they go out. In the community. There's there's certain ways where you can keep someone indefinitely, but that's just not as common. Whereas here, you can get a prison sentence, of course, you know, life without parole. And so that was another key difference that they that they brought up. Right. I mean, that's like it does seem like a a pretty key difference in terms of if almost if not every prisoner in Norway is going to get out eventually. What is therefore the goal of a prison? And that's sort of part of the idea of the Amen Project is is the Norwegian officers talked a lot about, you know, I mean, everybody in our prisons are coming out one day. So, you know, what sort of neighbors do we want to have? To say, what kind of neighbor do you want to have? And we have to create environment that the inmates can have some skills that they can use outside so they don't do crime again. You know, because they're going to come, they're going to live in our neighborhood, they're going to, you know, be back in society. And, and so how can we sort of help them rehabilitate or, or get to a good point where um, they don't uh, go back to a life of crime once once they're outside. Mm-hmm. It is called the Department of Corrections. It's not called the Department of um, Punishment. And even though obviously punishment is part of it um, and different people probably have different feelings about this, Department of Corrections suggests that there's rehabilitation involved, you know? It is the Washington Department of Corrections. Uh, the state... Corrections officials have a long time, for, for a long time, sort of prided themselves on being more progressive than, than other places on sort of incarceration and, and rehabilitating people. But um, it's still an American prison, right, compared to what you might see in Scandinavia. And I think especially over the last few years in Washington Department of Corrections, you walk into a facility and you don't see um, joy or happiness or um, a sense of purpose. When, when we were talking about the... Um, to the corrections officers that we visited inside Stafford Creek Correction Center, um, they talked a lot about, you know, the, the culture between sort of sometimes more old school corrections officers who came up in sort of a different way and 
sometimes there's the feeling that, you know, these these people are in here for a reason. They committed really bad crimes, you know, violent things sometimes. And um, maybe we shouldn't be so worried about how they're doing or how they're feeling or anything versus sort of a, a, a more, a, a newer mindset. I'm working on my, my 19th year and, you know, I'm institutionalized like lots of these guys. So it took me a lot to change my mindset. And one of them traveled to Norway. This was corrections officer Eric Garcia, and he now leads a resource team of five officers that's doing the amend project within Stafford Creek. And he said, yeah, I was sort of skeptical. And he said it was very weird when he went to the Norwegian prison um, because the, the officers were talking to the incarcerated people a lot more. It was, it was interesting to see that because that's something traditionally that we see as a no-no. It was, it was weird. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was definitely weird. To see. Um, and he said he didn't overcome his skepticism, actually, until he uh, visited a prison in California, I believe in Salinas Valley, he said. And, and that's when he said, sort of like, oh, okay, I, I, I see how it can work here, here in America. And, um, and uh, he, he's become a believer on it. You know, if they could do it, in my mind, you know, if they could do it, there's no reason why Washington can. It seems like so much of this program is kind of focusing on this, the fundamentals of sort of interactions between corrections officers and the incarcerated. So it's like, in a lot of U.S. prisons, it sounds like you're hearing, generally speaking, there's kind of a wall, a barrier that doesn't get crossed very often in terms of sort of even talking to each other. Prisons, it's also a very top-down hierarchy, right? You know, corrections officers aren't making the policy in most cases. They're not uh, sort of figuring out how to do things. But the AMEN project, actually, the idea is to have uh, the corrections officers sort of come up with some of their own ideas to create more humane conditions and then sort of run it up the chain. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's very different from how we often think about law enforcements that have top down. This is envisioned as bottom up. And uh, one example of that is, you know, so these amend project officers that we interviewed, um, they sit down and have uh, some time with incarcerated people, like one on one. You can, uh, in in our case, the day we were there, they played some cards with uh, an incarcerated person. Uh, but there's educational resources in this room for them, uh, GED manuals, math books, reading books, um, information on how to apply for a driver's license. We'll always uh, do, you know, card games or cornhole or whatever. We use that kind of as a tool to talk to them uh, about, like you said, w- what they need, uh, mm-hmm. how to better themselves, like like what are their main struggles. Uh. So it's sort of an opportunity to interact. But then the officers that we interviewed were, were talking about, well, how do we make this in- interaction sort of as quote unquote, you know, normal as possible. And they actually have started bringing in for the, for the incarcerated people that they trust and they, they feel reasonably safe around. They actually take their restraints off when they're in the room so they can sort of move around freely and everything. Um, here we're, we're not allowed to have uh, uh, incarcerated without restraints on. Okay. So if they move to the shower, to the yard, they have restraints on all the time. And so part of this program is we want them out of restraints. We okay. want them in restraints, <clears throat> at least not all. But they actually had to like write like a new operational security memo of like how do you how do you know how do you transport the person in that case and get them in and out of the room safely and stuff, right? Because that's sort of stuff you need to have planned out and everything. So so the officers at Stafford Creek, these five officers, you know, they sort of wrote their operational memo and they got it approved and 
And that's one little thing, one little sort of example of how they try to make things a little more normal. Uh, we're going to pop into deep pot for just a couple of minutes. So we visited a higher security end of, of the prison. This is where these officers were doing their work with, you know, talking with incarcerated people and, and playing cards in the day we were there. It's called an intensive management unit, and that's where um, the incarcerated people sleep one to a cell. They're inside, in their cell for most of the day. And it's, you know, potentially it's because they could potentially harm, be harmful to others. They could potentially have harm happen to them from others. And so there's, you know, there's many reasons you might have somebody in there. But but all the officers talked about how, how tough that isolation is on an incarcerated person too, right? You... Um, even even spending time with two or three people in a room for them might be really difficult. So now you imagine uh, what happens to that person when they come back out into society two years or five years from now. Uh, what does that mean about how they're going to be able to function um, and, and interact with themselves and, and other people? Right. So, so, you know, prior to amend, for example, there just wasn't a ton of stuff going on to help that person reintegrate? So they, you know, there there is stuff that, you know, they've done for a long time. Um, the incarcerated people can go, they, they take classes, educational programming and stuff. Um, whereas this actually gives them an opportunity to just sit down, chat and do whatever. In fact, the the incarcerated person that we interviewed, Sean Crump. It's been helpful for me because I, I, I've been getting like information for like release, you know, because I, I only have a few months left. Oh, you know, he said like this, I don't get this when I'm back in my cell. Uh, I can't just have a normal conversation. You know, there's more normality in here. You mm-hmm. know, like we're having a conversation because sure, it's yeah. normal, right? Yeah, that's yeah. not happening back there on the team. He said, you know, it's also a break because if somebody's experiencing problems in the area, in the cells, and they're banging on their doors for nine hours. Banging on their door for nine hours, you know what I mean? What would you want to do? Like, <laughs> I can't just open up my door when yeah. I wanted to and be yeah. like, you know, and just leave whenever I want. So and I and so we actually, we went over, and um, as soon as we got into that area, a few people started shout, shouting. Okay. Uh, and that's some of what they're listening to all day. Uh, Sean Crump had mentioned that there's one person in there that likes to sing. We were given a full a full rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Okay. Yeah. Um, which unfortunately sometimes is distracting when you get something like this going. Sure. We got one guy that he likes to sing. You can sort of see how that might be. You know, you start to think about spending so many days in isolation, punctuated with somebody banging on a door for hours or or singing and everything and. You know, and combined with the lack of, of sort of what you and I would consider a normal, just everyday conversation. Come in here for a couple hours, and then when I go back there, I'm not I'm not as really stressed out. You know, sure. it's whatever. You know. The Amen Project um, it started as sort of a public health project, and some of the idea about fostering these better relationships is is to cut down on uh, violence among incarcerated people to cut down on assaults on staff. Mm. And so is the idea then that if things were generally more humane when it comes to the treatment of those incarcerated, that therefore that would reduce bad feeling and, and violence and kind of improve relationships and therefore would kind of hopefully improve the experience of the person working there? I think that's the idea. I think the idea is, you know, can you start sort of a positive cycle, right, where officers treat incarcerate people more humanely who then maybe can sort of adjust a little bit better and then and then maybe becomes sort of a self-reinforcing cycle of good and one of the things that the 
amend people will point to is just, you know, a lot of different studies showing how hard it is on you to be uh, a corrections officer. Mm -hmm. Um, And for example, they cite a um, 2017 survey uh, that surveyed uh, 8,000 corrections workers in in the state of California and found that more than half of them had uh, described violent incidences as regular occurrences in their prisons. 80% of them had responded to at least one violent incident in the past six months of that survey. 10% had reported being seriously injured themselves. Um, You know, one of the officers that we talked to talked about, he had his meniscus torn. Uh, He got head-butted so hard at one point by an incarcerated person he thought he was had a concussion. Oh, my gosh. And then there was a long discussion of what they call milkshakes, Oh. which is a cup that a incarcerated person might fill with urine, excrement, whatever, and then throw it at corrections officers. And so, wow. you know, I, on their side, right, that's what they're, every day you walk into work, there's the prospect that, um, you know, you could have physical harm to your body as well. And that's that's where it started turning with me was on, I'm having a yelling match with an, a guy behind a door, you know, unnecessarily right over nothing, and so I, I, I started getting uh, more triggered easily, uh, okay. more angry in here a lot. Like right. it, it just took littler and littler stuff for, for me to snap at an in, uh, incarcerated individual or at a, staff, a fellow staff member. You know, Did any of the officers you spoke with who've been involved in the AMEND program for a little bit, did they report any changes in their lives or... In their work lives or in, you know, anything that they've observed in the prison since they started doing this work? Um, there were a couple of them. One in particular said that, you know, sort of in his earlier iterations as a corrections officer, he was coming home so stressed and he would he would go, he would come home to his wife and kids and, and play like video games for like an hour every day just to sort of decompress enough. So for me, I was actually taking it home with me and I didn't realize I was doing that. But my wife actually told me one day, she sat me down and said, uh, you know, you're, you're being a jerk. You know, he says once he started the AMEN program, uh, working in it, he, um, and he didn't even notice it. He says his wife noticed it, that like he was actually able to re-engage with his family more, you know, just once he got home more quickly and stuff. It was just the way that we're working is a little different and I didn't need the decompression anymore. Now, being on the team, I don't have any of those, those we don't have those engagements anymore, and yeah. it's just, no, I'm much, I, I actually enjoy being at work, you know. It's and nice coming in. I do. Yeah. I like being here. and really deal with yeah. it on a day-to-day basis. My, you know, my impression, and some of the officers said this, part of it's that having sort of their own self-agency to actually sort of take some initiative on the job and, and try these projects themselves, and also having sort of the mission to rehabilitate more, uh, I think sort of helped them a little bit in the ways that they described it. You know, from a layperson's perspective, the AMEN program is a pretty good idea. I mean, it sounds like creating a more humane place for people to live and work uh, sounds like it's a good thing. In your reporting, did you encounter any kind of major resistance? I mean, what barriers kind of stand in the way, do you think? When we spoke to the corrections officers themselves, they were pretty open about acknowledging that even when they started as skeptics, but also for other corrections officers who haven't sort of bought into this yet, you know, safety and security is a big element. And so when we're talking about increased interactions with incarcerated people, right, you're opening up uh, that potential for some kind of violence or attack to happen. 
we reached out to Teamsters uh, Local 117. Uh, that's the uh, union that represents corrections officers. And they gave us a statement. And, you know, they basically said, you know, look, we're, we're in support of programming, any kind of programs that help incarcerated people. Uh, but we have understaffing at the prisons. And right now, safety and security is our priority. And, and we feel like the staffing shortages more broadly should be addressed sort of as a priority uh, compared to this. See, there's a lot of really long-running problems that are still not resolved inside the prisons. And changing culture is, is a, you know, it's a it's tall order. It's a tough thing. I feel like it, it probably will take some some time. It's a tough undertaking. And, and one of the Norwegian officers that we uh, spoke with that day, he said, you know, it takes a long time. In, in one case, um, getting the idea of having the contact officers, that's the thing they want to roll out to the general population at Stafford Creek. He said that, you know, that concept took 10 years to catch on. Wow. So it's it sure it takes like time and focus and money. Right. And then and you got to do it long enough to get everybody on board. Um, and, you know, not an easy thing. It's a whole completely different world, yeah, the yeah. prison system. It's a brotherhood. I mean, yeah. that's, what, that's what you're told. Now that we're doing this, we're taking a look at it and realizing this isn't the way we need to be doing business. There's a different way. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Joseph O'Sullivan and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.